Welcome to Growth Marketing Today, where marketers, designers, and product owners level up their growth marketing chops from experts in today's top startups. Here's your host, Ramley John. Welcome to episode 56 of Growth Marketing Today. I'm your host, Ramley John, and I'm here on a mission to help marketers and founders like you sharpen their marketing skills by talking to today's top experts. Today, I had the pleasure of talking to the incredible Nadia Koja. She is the Chief Growth Officer at Vengage. Now, what Nadia and her team has achieved at Vengage is just simply mind-blowing. They've increased Vengage monthly blog visits from zero to 400,000 monthly visitors without a big budget. Now, it's so much easier to drive lots of traffic to your site when you have a big budget at your disposal. Now, you can just throw a bunch of money at Google or Facebook ads to get that traffic, but what happens when you don't have thousands of dollars to spend on marketing? So in this episode 56, you'll learn from Nadia her four-step content marketing framework for driving massive organic traffic without having a big budget, how to hack your influence, how Nadia successfully pitched a co-marketing campaign with HubSpot when Ben Gage was still a young startup. I created a growth cheat sheet for this episode. There are four pages from this cheat sheet. This episode is that good. So why take notes from this podcast episode when you can steal mine? Download it now at growthtoday.fm forward slash 56, or you can find the link in the description of wherever you get your podcasts. Please support this podcast. I'm not sure if you know this. This podcast is a one-man show. I record, edit, and create all my marketing materials for this podcast. There's three easy ways to support it. First, you can share a quote on Twitter or LinkedIn. Tell a friend about this podcast. I've created some tweetable quotes at growthtoday.fm forward slash 56. Second, you can join my Growth Today mailing list. You'll get the cheat sheet directly emailed to you. I'll also tell you who my next guests are and you can ask questions via email there. And like I said, I'll send every growth cheat sheet going forward to you via email so you don't have to go to the website again. Third, you can support me on Patreon for as little as $2 per episode for exclusive access. You can go to patreon.com forward slash growth today. Now, for my first 20 Patreons, there is a early adopter perk where you get all of the perks from the highest level, which is the unicorn level, for as little as $2 per episode. I will also thank you in every episode for becoming an early adopter. With that, I have three patrons that are supporting me as an early adopter. Thank you so much for Jamie Ward at Las Vegas. I also thank Veronica from London, UK and Fabrice Hill from Brazil. I really appreciate all my Patreon supporters out there. Enough about me, let's jump right in. Hey everybody, I have here Nadia and I'm so excited to chat with her because everybody it speaks so highly of her. How are you doing Nadia? How how's your morning? I'm good. How are you? I'm I'm pretty good. I I'm so excited to talk to you about uh about a lot of things because I've seen some of your talks and but before we get there, can you tell a little bit about your journey to becoming the chief growth officer at Vengage? I really love asking this question because I've talked to a lot of folks and marketers start off from weird places like Val Geisler started off in theater and Kevin Indig started off with StarCraft and I started my career off as a programmer then I got into marketing. Yeah, it's funny because I was I was just at Learn Inbound last week and I think Claire, Swollentrop, myself, Val and Leanna Patch all have a theater background, which is really interesting. And like Alexa Hubley as well from CXL. 
so we were chatting about that. But yeah, I started um, with a theater background in what's called devised theater. So it's like very experimental avant-garde performance with the idea is basically you have a set of limitations and you don't really have a lot to work with, but you have to build a show from the ground up with nothing. Um, and you pull sources from like different scripts. So it's very much like a creative collaborative environment, uh, not much like acting, um, but with a focus more on direction and creation. Uh, and then when I finished that, I realized that I was probably not going to make much money doing, <laughs> <laughs> doing avant-garde performance. Um, so I did a master's in digital media and that's where I did kind of a thesis on looking at, you know, how does technology influence live performance and can technology change what is, you know, this four-walled structured kind of boring art form and turn it into something a little bit more interactive and a little bit more engaging for an audience. So I was reading a lot of content and books on audience engagement and like different things from like theory to what I realized were marketing books. Um, and then after that, I learned a lot about like startups and entrepreneurship in general from my master's program. I just got like a good feel for that type of environment. And I liked it uh, because I don't like I like being able to create something and see the impact of what I do um, really quickly. And I think working at a bigger company was never something that was appealing to me. Um so then I, you know, I applied to Vengage randomly, like when I was in my second semester and then didn't hear back until like four months later, but I was still in school and then met with Eugene, the CEO. And at the time it was, it was kind of like a side project for him, sort of. He had actually built uh, another tool and then started Vengage and was looking for a marketer because I guess he was like, I guess I should do something with this company. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, joined early on. I'm not even sure what he thought the outcome would be um, and me neither. And then as we started growing, he ended up coming on full time and, and left the company that he was working at before. Um, and then eventually, just as we kept growing, kept moving up from, you know, just like a junior marketer to eventually became head of marketing when we started growing the team. And uh, as the company started growing and the responsibility shifted a little bit, um, moved into a chief of growth position. Nice. Uh, that's really great. And you, you've achieved some really great results. If you can brag right now, what, what things would you brag about at, with your work at Vengage? <laughs> It's funny because I the, the culture at Vengage is not one where we just we necessarily <laughs> praise everything going well. So oh, really? uh, it's hard for me to think about something that I can brag about because I'm constantly like, oh, no, all of this stuff needs to be fixed and isn't working very well. So I've never actually been asked that question and I don't know how um, how I can answer it. I don't. I don't really like to, I don't want to say I can brag about my accomplishments. Okay. Obviously right. nothing, nothing I could have gotten to, uh, was alone, right? I have a team that, uh, is really good and the company itself, uh, really understands the importance of working together and kind of that collaboration element that I was used to in, in my theater days. Um, so I think, Probably like the biggest accomplishment is 
getting a team together that and constantly being able to um, align ourselves as the as the landscape changes and the requirements of the job change. Um, people on my team have become very adaptable to those changes. Uh, and I think that in itself is something that's very tricky to do. Who's on your team right now? Like how big is your team and like what kind of folks do you have? Do you have paid? Do you have a social? So on the marketing team, um, so I actually, I manage HR. So I guess part of that is operations uh, and then also marketing, uh, but mostly revenue. So my team is made up of people on the acquisition side as well as uh, the success and retention side um, and then people growth. So some like performance evaluation mm. kind of documentation, management, best practices, workshops and seminars, that kind of thing. Um, but. The total team is about, I want to say 12 to 15 wow. people on the marketing team alone. And then um, I have seven direct reports right now. Uh, I want to talk about, so there's two groups I'm interested in chatting about. The first is the acquisition side. What does your acquisition side look like in terms of the people? Um, so our bread and butter is still essentially SEO uh, and organic traffic. So we put a lot of focus on content. Um, most of our team is structured with that in mind. So we have uh, a content focused team, which is for Vengage.com. And then we have um, our international team as well. Uh, so similar goals, but the international team is more focused on scaling up different languages, oh. whereas the main team is focused on figuring out like what's working well and how do we actually uh, influence the majority of our users uh, that are coming into the product via content. But then it's not just a matter of creating content that ranks for SEO and drives a lot of traffic, but figuring out, you know, how does that content tie in with uh, user needs and actually influence support and success and also how do we better communicate product features and get uh, that information out to our users also to influence you know different things like conversions and uh, retention so uh, we put a lot of focus on on content across different channels. Now, I actually saw a tech deal, uh talk that you had in, and you mentioned that in 2017, you and your team implemented a content revision strategy that increased your conversion by like 300%, I think if I saw that correctly. What was involved in that content revision that resulted in that result? Yeah, so um, so we were doing a lot. I mean, keep in mind, I didn't really know what I was doing when I started. <laughs> so a lot of it was just like trial and error very early on. I mean, I have an academic background, so I came in writing blog content that kind of read like academia <laughs> when I started. And the CEO was like, this isn't good. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so then I started like, you know, reading more content and kind of just trying to reverse engineer what I saw was performing really well. Um, and eventually I realized I'm like, if I have fun writing something, chances are somebody else will have fun reading it. Mm. And if I can communicate something that I find very, that I found very complicated when I got started in a way that I would have appreciated reading it. Um, Cause I was really into storytelling and like writing short stories and like film and television from an early age. So just kind of took that approach of like, what do I, what can I create that somebody else will actually have fun reading? Um, and so 
as we started doing that, we started creating a lot of what we kind of call viral or editorial content. And this is just content that we were trying to create that would appeal to press. Um, and the purpose of that was to to boost our domain authority um, on Google. So I used to run a lot of different experiments on my own site and just do like these weird little side projects to see how I could get uh, press mentions. Uh, and then when we started doing that, we were getting a lot of backlinks, like a lot of really good quality backlinks from sites like Mashable, Wall Street Journal, um, uh, and sites like that. And But our traffic wasn't really climbing. Um, and then uh, I was like, we had some content that was ranking better, and then we also needed to create content that still positioned our product properly for the right users that we wanted to acquire more of. Um, so then we started doing, getting a little bit better at keyword research um, and just letting that guide the ideas that we came up with, not necessarily just like figuring out, okay, we wanna rank for just this keyword, but uh, really trying to understand the context and the themes behind what we were trying to say. Um, and then we created, we started realizing after a series of tests, like different types of content um, worked really well. And a lot of that came not with that direct goal in mind of, well, we just want to like create a system that's going to drive tons of traffic, but we were actually just trying to solve other problems mm. for our users, right? Um, one of the things was like, well, we need to get content that our users are going to understand, but mm. also organic traffic is like our main channel. So how do we accomplish both of these? Uh, one of the things I often tell my team is instead of just trying to kill two birds with one stone, how can you kill 10? And and really think about the most impactful decisions you can make with one single effort, right? So that's, that's kind of how it started to happen. And then as we did that, we started to realize through a lot of testing, like, okay, these articles are driving a lot of traffic. Why? These articles are really doing well for conversions. Why? Can we find a way to loop them together or can we intersect them together so that they're all, um, that all the content works together and lifts everything else up as well? I want to jump on one of the things that you, you mentioned about write, creating content that actually you like writing and also because you like writing about it, chances are people will read it. I read one of your blog posts, you call it the four-step content marketing framework. And I'm going to link it in the content note. And you talked about the grab framework, which you put it is like wine before it's matured. I, I kind of love that. <laughs> <laughs> what is that grab framework? Well, how do you create content that's actually good? Yeah, so I guess that's kind of how I, I think about the process, right, of approaching content. So the grab framework uh, represents goals, research, authority, and promotion. And if you have all of those things in place, um, when you're thinking about what you're writing, then chances are you'll be successful. And mm. really, it's just kind of a framework for anything that you're trying to accomplish, right? Goal, you have to set a goal. You have to do research to figure out what's already working in accomplishing that goal. Eventually, you need to set up an authority to show that you can achieve that goal and that you can achieve it over and over again. And then uh, promotion is just that element of you need to let people know what you're doing. <laughs> so if you can do all of those things really well, then um, especially with content, then then there's a good chance that you're going to see the success from it. Um, and then really just breaking down those goals into more smaller inputs that become a lot more tangible for a team to work within. Uh, so that's 
what that means. Um, in terms of why I chose that, I don't know. I guess I was looking for something funny that would work in my content. It's, yeah, it's funny. It's catchy. It's like easy to remember. I want to talk about the promotion side because I read also in a growthhackers.com thread that you and your team focuses 80% of your content effort on promotion and only 20% on creation. So I'm curious what your content promotion plan looks like. Yeah, I mean, we try to as much as possible and sometimes uh, it gets hard to stick to that process <laughs> as as much as we'd like to. Um, and really it depends on like what our goals are, right? So if we're trying to like target a new audience, then obviously we kind of have to take a little bit more time to create some of the bulk content. Now we know the process, right? So we know what will work and generally and what won't work. Um, but all that means is that there's no point in creating something if nobody's going to see it. Yeah. Uh, and so if somebody's going to take the time to create something that's really great, they should put most of the effort into helping other as many people as possible see that content. So even the promotion strategy kind of happens somewhat before we even start writing, right? Like we start looking at, you know, who's our audience, we'll talk to our users, we'll find out what their interests are, we'll do qualitative studies with them to figure out what actually engages them. Um, and then we'll drive into the research and figure out um, what else are these people reading? Where are they spending a lot of their time? Um, and then use that to kind of guide how we create the content. So upfront, we already have a little bit of an idea of how we're going to promote it. Um, but a lot of it comes down to relationship building. Uh, and really trying to figure out, and that's kind of why we do this research upfront, right? So that we can establish these relationships early on. Uh, so that when the piece gets published, then we can actually have an opportunity to to predict what the success is going to be. Interesting. Yeah, that totally makes sense. So you start off with talking to them. Is there any other promotion that you do in terms of like, do you run ads on any of your content? We, we don't know. We don't run a lot of ads. We sometimes occasionally but that's like not really part of our process if we find that something if is really trendy and it's performing really well across the board and we just want to keep milking that success then we might run some like you know facebook retargeting ads just to try to get a little bit more mm. attention to it just to our audience but for the most part we don't really do that and for us so it's difficult for me to to put a reasoning behind advertising because we don't have funding, right? So we don't have like a lot of money that we can just like spend and test on whatever we want to do. We're entirely cash flow dependent. Um, and so we need to be really careful and very pretty much know like 99% of the time if something is going to work. Uh, so we measure things very closely and we have, you know, weekly sprints. We operate like any product team might where we try to test things at an iterative at a small level and then scale it up iteratively rather than trying to do this huge project all at once um, so a lot of what we do isn't perfect but we know it's kind of good enough that it will work for the time being and then we can keep coming back to it and fixing and tweaking the processes but yeah so we don't really we might like test out a few dollars here and there just to see what the outcome is but if it's not um, clear enough how that's going to work early on then we don't spend too much on it we we do some like some ppc but honestly we don't we don't focus too much on it because we haven't seen the the results from it and i know like if we built the right funnels and everything we could but i don't i'd rather focus on what we are 
we know works well for us. Now, in terms of, I want to go back to content promotion. Then, do you post it up on forums? Like, what is what does your backlink strategy look like when you have this content? Um, it's pretty extensive. We we do we do try to start with relationship building um, as much as possible. So, the way that we actually started figuring out our backlink strategy was through content partnerships. Um, so, we would actually partner with different companies, like different companies that were slightly bigger than us, um, that we could kind of leverage their audience. And one of our earliest partners that we still, you know, we're still really close with and we do a lot with them is HubSpot. Mm. Um, and that was actually one of the initial indicators of like, huh, partnerships also help with, uh, rankings and SEO. And that's when we started doing like these eBooks and lead gate and gated content with them. But for us, lead generation wasn't really necessary because our registration metric is like our leads, right? Um, And we generate a lot of registrations on a weekly basis. So that for us wasn't super necessary because we're not selling this really expensive product. Mm. Um, And then through partnerships, we were able to figure out like, okay, who else works with this person? Because if other people, other companies are working with this partner, then maybe if we have a good relationship with our partner, they'll introduce us to these other ones. And then we can get more into the, into that network. Um, And uh, a lot of it is trying to work with other influencers in different spaces um, to figure out where those opportunities are. Um, And then part of it was also building influence for ourselves because I figured, you know, when I was reaching out to early on for links, I was looking at people in the space. And so I would go to much like how you reach out to people, I'm sure for your podcast, as you look at like different conferences or Mm. places where people are being followed and have already grown a following. And those were the ones I wanted to connect with. And then the next question was, well, how do I get make it easier for me to connect with them. And I was like, well, I need to speak at these events because that's where all these people are hanging out. So how do I speak at these events? Well, I guess I need some authority or credibility. So let me start writing for these like notable sites so that people will think I'm serious and then (laughs) I can get speaking. And then if I get speaking gigs, people will just reach out to me. Interesting. Um, And so that was part of the process. And then as you build that credibility, when you start doing outreach, more people are likely to trust you because they're like, okay, well, you have this track record. Mm. So let me, um, let me work with you. How did you reach out to the first one? Like when you don't have a lot of authority in the beginning, you don't have like a name. How, how did you get HubSpot like to say yes? Or I honestly don't know. Like I don't know <laughs> why they said yes. Um, I, I pitched people a lot. I actually have another talk that I do on how to growth hack your influence. And I kind of answer this in there. But um, a lot of it was just outreach and finding the right angle uh, that would benefit them too, right? So I think for HubSpot, so at that time, we were we were already generating a considerable amount of leads uh, and we had a good database of people in at Fengage already. Um, not like a lot of paid users, we weren't generating necessarily that much revenue, but we had a considerable amount of people. Um, and so the way we pitched it was we actually did most of the heavy lifting. Um, we saw that they were starting to write a lot more about you know, visual content and infographics in particular. So we pitched this thing where we were like, you know, what if we put together an ebook on how to do all of this stuff and we provide you with all the templates, we'll put the whole thing together, we'll design it and everything. <laughs> all you have to do is host it and promote it. Um, and at that time, because we were still relatively small, so we were able to not promise as many leads as they maybe wanted um, with the 
with the idea that we would do most of the work for them. So even if they only got like a thousand leads in a month, that was still Interesting. enough because they didn't have to do very much. Um, and so because we were able to deliver on that promise um, uh, pretty quickly, then that you know opened up other opportunities and i think that's still something that generates a lot of um, a lot of leads for them and we didn't really care about the lead we were just trying to get that partnership going um, and what's funny is that actually sent a lot of registrations directly to our site and we saw a considerable lift at that time from it i mean now something like that might not have the same impact uh, because we're growing at a different scale but uh, early on it was kind of that initial like aha mm -hmm. moment so that's one step to, and you talked, you talk about creating this presentation on hacking influence. What are other things that you would suggest for like, how can somebody hack their influence? So that's actually a, that's like a satire talk. Um, <laughs> it's not like a hundred percent real, but it's mostly real. Um, so, I mean, it's very, it's a similar like framework, right? You, a lot of it just comes down to being um, persistent and really understanding what the other person wants and what their goals are. Because as marketers, I think we think a lot of people just want leads or just want links or just want whatever. Uh, but when you get into like more specific target markets, then when you think about the jobs to be done that people have, like as marketers, why should approaching content and link building be any different from how we would sell a product, right? Because if you think about it, you're kind of like a sales manager and mm. getting a link is closing that deal. Uh, so that's just how we think about it. And it's just like every person on the other end that we're pitching something to does have this job to be done, right? right. And does have this thing that they're trying to accomplish. It's just a matter of having that initial discovery call with them and figuring out what it is they want. And as you start learning from people in that same market, then you start to figure out, okay, like marketers in this space are really motivated by, I don't know, a link, right? But HR managers in this space don't care about that. They actually um, want something totally different. So what is that thing? And how can we find a way to offer it to them first? Uh, I want to shift gears and talk about your attention side. So like you have people signing up. How do you get those people sign up users to become a paying user, essentially? That's, we don't have like a very specific plan for just conversions, right? We do measure it to make sure that they're growing at scale, but we know what specific inputs are. We know that if they register, like the general conversion rate, conversion rate is X. So if we can just increase the amount of registrations, then we know that's going to go up. We're only starting to really get into thinking more about um, conversions uh, and have started just doing like some user calls to figure it out. Uh, but ultimately a lot of, because our tool is pretty self-service, right? We don't mm. have like a big, we don't have a sales team. Um, so anything that happens has to be value add in the product. And a lot of that comes down to positioning that those value adds to the right people and figuring out like, okay, who are the people that are upgrading and the ones that are really, really happy, why are they happy and how are they using the tool? Um, and are there opportunities in the product where we can help people discover those features that will make them right. more likely to convert? So we do a lot of, we look at a lot of data and we try to find a lot of patterns when possible uh, to see if we can influence those little patterns um, and see how much they do connect or maybe cause mm. The likeliness of an upgrade right but for the most part we know like as long as we create the right content that that positions 
our product in the way that this target market needs it, there's a good chance that they'll upgrade. So we started, we like measure specific segments of users and the acquisition of those specific types of users, for instance, to mm. see, are we influencing the conversion rates? Are we influencing uh, the acquisition, like just general traffic for those segments? Um, and if so, how and what can we do to change it? What, does you, what is your North Star metric? Uh, what is that one metric that you're really looking at? Because you've been talking a lot about like you're measuring a lot of things. Completions, infographic completion. So when somebody like actually exports or shares or whatever. Yeah, um, and so then we try to just, right now, like our, on the retention side, we're trying to figure out how do we get people to complete again, or what are the elements, what are the you know patterns and behaviors of people who have completed multiple times? What have they, what have they done in their first day versus their last, their, like, after a year that some people aren't doing? Can we, can we get the people who aren't doing that to do that thing? <laughs> Will they stay? What are other things that you're measuring? Um, so. Really, completions is just one of, it's an activation metric, right? If, if somebody's completed, we know they found value, but specifically if they've completed and like what they've completed, then they're more likely to come back. If somebody completed and they're like, well, this looks like crap, I'm not coming back, um, then that's different. So then that becomes part of the product team's goals, right? Where they're like, how do we make sure that um, the completion rates are the right types of completion rates. And so on, on that end, the product team is also looking at, we have different squads, right? So one of the squads is looking at time to complete uh, and just trying to figure out like what types of uh, changes can we make and um, what types of product decisions can we make that will lower that time to completion. Because if it's lower, then you're more likely to come back and do something again because you can get more stuff done faster. Whereas the uh, our template squad, for instance, is working on discoverability. So if we can get more people to create something right when they get in, then that should lift the whole curve, right? And then the retention team is actually looking at just post upgrade. They're saying the people that are already spending money and seem really happy, um, what can we do to make their experience better? How can we guide them down that journey so that we can actually get them to discover the things that they need at the right time so that they can complete faster and hopefully come back again? I want to shift gears. Uh, one more time and talk about content marketing and how where you see it going for 2020 and beyond. I know Google's been doing some crazy updates and they've been on the hot seat recently with Rand Fishkin saying that a lot of their links are actually not resulting in other websites. So where do you see content marketing going 2020 and how do you see yourself responding with that? I think, so it's like every year since I've been doing this, somebody says that SEO is going to change and you're going to, everything is going to go wrong and all of this bad stuff's going to happen. And we really haven't seen that yet, like unless we do something really stupid. Um, and I think as long as you keep coming back to user experience, right? Like we know that Google cares about the user experience, all their updates are in an effort to make it easier for the user. Um, so if you just take that into account when you're writing your content and formatting your content uh, and measuring it, then as long as the user is happy and you're really taking them into account and not just trying to do like keyword stuffing and just like a bunch of spammy links and all this random stuff, then you're probably going to see good results. Um, I think where it goes wrong is when people just try to create a lot of stuff uh, and then they create like a ton of content that's got like all these keywords and they're like, we're just going to build tons of links. We're going to get like all these link farms to 
uh, pushed it back. That's not the right way to approach it. I don't think, I actually don't think you need to create a lot of content. I just think you need to create a, a small amount of it. That's really, really useful for the user. And I think I have another article where I have some other weird analogy on my site, um, about the correlation between, you know, rankings and engagement and how do you measure engagement? And I, think the thing I use as a reference is called the blueberry probability chart, but I'll talk about it quickly. Um, so the idea is, I don't know where I come up with these analogies. I'm pretty sure it's just the first thing that comes in my head and I'm like, that'll do. Um, but so the, the blueberry probability is that if you go to the grocery store and you buy a pack of blueberries and let's say there's like 25 blueberries in this. Um, but what happens when you have rotten blueberries, right? Most people pick those out and then you kind of like go for the ones that like fit your liking. Um, and then uh, eventually maybe most of it's rotten and you only have like five really good ones left. Uh, so that's kind of content, right? A lot of people spit out a lot of content. Maybe there's like three or five that are like really the outliers and they're always the outliers. And if you look at your analytics, you'll probably see that of what you've written, there's the two or three things right at the top are always at the top and everything else isn't performing. Um, so my idea was what if we just don't have the other rotten ones and we just create the really, really good ones? Because like, wouldn't you rather get everything uh, in that packet to be like at the perfect ripeness that you want? So why should we be creating all of this garbage and not measure it properly um, when in reality, nobody wants that content? So why are we creating it? And I think a lot of people focus a lot on push out more and more and more and like focus on quantity. Um, but in terms of SEO, that doesn't work, right? It might work for other channels, but it doesn't work for content. So I think people just don't measure it right. And people don't measure it according to um, the patterns that they see in Google's updates. Like Google's always going to change their algorithms, but they're never going to create a system that will not allow you to get your information seen because their whole thing is about helping people find content that's right for them. So as long as you're just doing that, then you're probably okay. <laughs> that's true. Uh, I want to shift one last time and ask you this question. I, I noticed you've been promoted in successive steps from digital marketer to head of marketing to chief growth, growth officer at Vengage. Now, for those marketers who aspire to become CMO or chief growth, growth officer, what would be your one advice to that marketer? I guess like I didn't have the goal of <laughs> doing that. Um, my goal was just to figure out how how to grow the business and do it the right way. And I think I came in not thinking of myself as just a marketer, but I joined very early, right? So it felt like it felt like I I was able to see a lot of my influence on Vengage, and it is kind of like a product that. I helped guide and build and shift and a lot of like I hired a lot of the team um, and a lot of the people that are still with us are like people that myself and Eugene have taken a chance on and so I guess don't try to a lot of people I talk to are also just trying to climb this ladder mm. um, that I think becomes is the outcome of trying to build a great company 
Um, so yeah, that's just the way I think about it. Just one last question. What is your call to action to my listeners? Uh, where do you want them to go from here? Go to vengage.com if you're trying to figure out how to communicate better visually and go to thisisnadia.com if you want to read about the blueberry probability that's chart. <laughs> um, and I'm planning on pushing out a few more drunk entrepreneurs videos cool. in the near future so keep updated on that awesome thank you so much i really appreciate your time nadia no problem thank you so much for staying until the very end i really appreciate you for that i'm gonna share with you my three key takeaways number one if you have fun writing something chances are somebody else will have fun reading it some of nadia's blog posts are just creative and funny to read she's called her four-step content marketing framework grap g-r-a-p and she called it, which is like grape without the E or better yet, wine before it has matured. She compared writing great content to the blueberry enjoyment probability chart. Come on, that is so good. So if you think you're writing something that's boring, others will probably find it boring. So write something fun instead. Number two, instead of trying to kill two birds with one stone, why don't you kill 10? That's just a great quote from Nadia. I never thought about that. I'm going to steal that from her. Her point here is she tries to look for the most impactful things she can do with one single effort. I love this because I believe that this is the heart of growth marketing. If you have a finite number of actions you can take to achieve your growth goals, what you want to do is prioritize those actions to maximize impact for the least effort. Number three, really understand what other people want and what their goals are. This advice right here can get you far in your career and in life. If you understand what it is that your target audience really wants and what motivates them, then you're more likely to achieve what you're trying to achieve, whether that's getting a trial user to become a paying user or pitching a co-marketing campaign or requesting a raise at work. Did I miss something from these key takeaways? Send me an email at ramley at growthtoday.fm. I'd love to hear from you of what other key takeaways that I missed. You can also tweet at me at RamleyJohn. My DM is open. I'd like to close by asking you to support this podcast. I'm not sure if you know, this podcast is a one-man show. I record, edit, and create all my marketing materials for this podcast. I made it really easy for you to do that in three simple steps. First, you can share a quote on Twitter or LinkedIn. You can tell a friend about this podcast. I've created some tweetable quotes at growtoday.fm forward slash 56. Second, join the Grow Today tribe mailing list. You can download the Grow Cheat Sheet from this episode by joining the Grow Today Tribe mailing list. Why take notes when you can steal mine? You can download the cheat sheet and join the Grow Today Tribe mailing list at growtoday.fm forward slash 56, or you can find a link in the description. And third, you can become a Patreon supporter for as little as $2 per episode for exclusive access. You can go to patreon.com forward slash growtoday and my first 20 Patreons, you become an early adopter Patreon and you get all the perks at the highest level, which is the unicorn level for $2 per episode at a 75% discount. I will also thank you in every episode. And with that, I want to thank my early adopters, of uh, Patreon early adopters, Jamie Ward from Las Vegas, Veronica from London, UK, and Fabrizio from Brazil. I really appreciate you. Other than that, I will catch you in the next episode. And don't forget, keep on growing. Passion, passion. Ha ha!